Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and I am alongside Over the Airwaves, Mr Rob Hayes. Rob, alright? I'm alright, thank you. Pete, how are you? It's been a while. It has. It's uh, been a couple of weeks since we've lad last podded. And uh, I don't know whether podded is a word, but it is now. But in that uh, two-week period, Leicester have scored an amazing amount of goals, played fantastically, demolished opposition and have secured Champions League football and have won the FA Cup. Isn't that right? In your alternative reality and your blue-tinted dreams, yes. They could, they could have secured the FA Cup, you never know. We could look back on this in in late May and go, that was that was a very, very important goal at a, an important time in a, in a tight game. But anyway... Uh, we'll talk about the last few games, the defeat to Norwich, the Birmingham game, what we've got coming up against Aston Villa, uh, where we can improve the side, uh, what's happening with uh, future games, what could happen with future games regarding um, what's going on in the country at the moment in the world. Uh, also, um, a look at the uh, a slight look at the accounts as well. I don't know whether you've uh, gone through all of the accounts that have been released for. Uh, the season gone previously, but uh, we'll, we'll touch on those, and uh, and that's about it, really. That's the that's the pod in essence. Again, when we have a couple of games, Rob, I think the best thing to do is to discuss both games kind of merged into one, rather than kind of pick and choose one, go over it, and then move on to the other. So the defeat to Norwich, and the uh, win against uh, Birmingham. So one nil against Norwich, one nil against Birmingham. Not the most thrilling, not in terms of the Norwich, the result that we wanted. Um, I'd say probably the worst performance of the season, but because of what happens elsewhere, in terms of the Premier League, our season is absolutely, completely, solely about finishing in the top four. Okay, Third doesn't matter, second doesn't matter, it's finishing in the top four, wherever. So it's all about the gap back to fifth place and sixth. Who knows what could happen in terms of Manchester City and their expedition to the um, the courts with UEFA, etc. At the moment, we're third. We're eight points clear of Manchester United and Wolves. Uh, we have a better goal difference as well uh, by quite some margin. So, you know, you can argue it's kind of nine points. Sheffield United do have a game in hand over United and Wolves, which means they could possibly go one point uh, nearer to us than that, what they are at the moment but that's the situation at the moment with 10 games to go in the Premier League that's a fantastic position to be in but it was a disappointing result but I will say and we do get a lot of feedback straight away from the games mainly because we we ask for it and we actually say the three word review and I'll just um, label a few uh, or send a few three-word refuse uh, to you, Rob. I, I presume that you, you saw them anyway. Um, but we've got uh, a picture of a waving the, the white flag, uh, embarrassed, not good enough, same old Leicester, anyone um, for Chilwell, 
Uh, far too predictable. Justin for Chilwell, 3-5-2. Is pure back. Forgets Champions League. Uh, could be Norwich. It's, it's, I know that's all. A lot of them would be kind of half tongue-in-cheek. And also, it's immediately after the game. But uh, there was an awful lot of of that sort of thing that happened over the last few days as well. Is that purely because we've not had a shocking performance this season? Not saying it, it was a shocker. Is it because we've had such a good season that when some all of a sudden you do lose, and yes, to the bottom of the league, uh, there needs to be a reaction because there hasn't been one yet from Leicester fans because it's been going so well? I think so, yeah. You've, we've had a, a season so far where, on the whole, we've been very positive, um, even after maybe a little blip here or there or uh, the odd poor performance from certain individuals. And we've always come on this podcast and said, you know, take it uh, for what it is in the bigger picture. Um, But I think I can understand a lot of supporters' frustrations because we do seem to have not really recaptured our early season form uh, for quite a while now. And I'd say that stretches all the way back, quite ironically, really, to, to the draw against Norwich um, at the beginning of December, I think that result really, for whatever reason, halted some momentum. And Leicester fans, like ourselves, have been looking for a reaction to that, a very obvious reaction. You know, one way you go out and you absolutely thump another team or you play them off the park to sort of get back to the old ways, if it were. And we haven't seen that since, I don't think. We've been involved in a lot of tight games. We've been absolutely hammered in a couple of games by um, the two best teams in the league, obviously Liverpool and Manchester City. Um, But I think a lot of supporters saw the Norwich game as an opportunity to get things back on track, to go at Norwich, to take the game to them and and to really sort of put on a show. And it just didn't happen. But, you know, football is such a a tight game, regardless of what league you're playing in, who you're playing against. And we'll talk about the Iheanacho, VAR, whatever, in a minute, I'm sure. But, you know, if that goal stands and Leicester take the lead in that game, then you would back them to uh, enforce enough control over the rest of the game to come through with a point or three. So, so that kind of that you can, I know matches swing in momentum minute by minute, but that was quite a a significant moment really. And I think the Leicester players would have taken a lot of confidence from going a goal up, especially with with, with what a good finish it was. So I can understand the the negativity in in certain um, forms, but I totally agree with you, Pete. We've got to look at this as a whole season. It's exactly the the sentiment that Brendan Roger Brendan Rogers is echoing as well, is the fact that he said it, I think, a few games ago. He said, if we finish between now and the end of the season, if we finish outside of the top, what, five or six, he said, that'll be a reflection of our season as a whole, whether you like it or not. But he said it would undo a lot of the real good hard work they'd done in the early part of the season. If for the next 10 games we pick up enough points to still finish third in the Premier League then you can look at performances you can look at runs of results you can look at whatever you like but ultimately the the statistics will say Leicester finished third in the Premier League which would represent one of our best ever seasons and would qualify us for automatically for the Champions League so you would almost forget games like the 1-0 defeat against Norwich and you would say 
great season. We finished third. We got to the semis of the League Cup, whatever you might think about it at the time. We should have been in the final. Um, we got to at least the quarters of the FA Cup. And you would look back on it and say it's a good season. We still got a good cushion from all the work we did before. And we've got to find a way of being a little bit more positive because I think the atmosphere was very tense last night against Birmingham too. And and I think that that kind of the players and the fans mirrored each other there and it's no good for anybody really. No, it's not. There were plenty of chances before Norwich scored. You mentioned the goal for Iniacho that was ruled out for handball. Before that, chances for Iniacho for Perez. There was a number of chances for City players that they created and they were on top, I thought. And they were on top mainly before the Iniacho incident, which it's handball. It's 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 only glanced his hand, but it's a, a very easy decision for VAR to give. Did it hit the defender's arm or hand first yes it did what's the situation there is that a play on for Leicester well no it's not because it's hits the Leicester player's hand the the scenario which I mentioned earlier on in the season where if you're an attacking player which almost happened with the Burnley game against Bournemouth where if you're an attacking side and the ball hits one of your players hands in your own penalty area and then you instantly go down the other end of the field you better off missing the chance than scoring because if you score a goal, they'll review it, they'll go back and have a look at the handball and you'll concede a penalty when if you miss the chance, it won't be reviewed on VAR automatically. The referee might call it, but if it's a tight one, then maybe not. And that kind of happens here because it hits the defender's hand, it hits Ineacho's, drops down and scores. On certain replays, there's not actually... um, a definite kind of angle where it does hit, it appears to hit uh, his his low arm, his wrist kind of area, back of his wrist. And there you go. It, it's always going to happen. I was quite bemused that the commentary team, and I wonder if VAR, and I have no idea whether VAR in Stockley Park, wherever, whether they can hear the commentary. Because there was in no uncertain terms any doubt in the commentators' minds that it was a handball and it's going to be automatically ruled out. It was good. It was just a, a a definite decision. And then when you saw the replay after replay, there was no mention of the Norwich player handball in it. There was no other angle where it definitively hit Iniacho's hand. It, it's one of those, isn't it? But it went again. It was a really good finish. And it was a shame because I'm I'm under no illusion that if we go one up, we win that game. If we win the game 1-0, fine. And... And everything's rosy in the garden again. But they went down the other end, grew into the game and scored. I mentioned before regarding the, the Norwich team and the best players at Leicester, I thought, were the two fullbacks. And they combined for the goal. It was poor defending all round. It was easy to get past Chilwell. Uh, the cross came in and where Ricardo was, no idea. And the fullback with a, a good shot, Schmeichel, who's been in really good form, over the last same month or so, he he couldn't save that one after making a few nice saves beforehand. But Leicester looked very blunt in attack. There was no Vardy, and there was no Vardy against Birmingham. Hopefully, he's back for the Villa game. Is the word after a slight calf strain, but there was no cutting edge up front, and that's nothing really on on the doorstep of Iniacho because Leicester had the ball, and it was uh, someone mentioned uh, uh, Puel ball in one of those um, three 
word reviews for the game. Yes, because there was no cutting edge up front. And when Leicester had been free-flowing, it's really worked. And it did so against the ultimate performance against Southampton away. And it's worked on a lot of occasions. Tillemans, at the moment, is not on his full game and he's not an automatic starter. It seems that Madison's dropping further further back, which uh, I, I think at some points in the game, so I was keeping my eye on Madison just to see whether he was, but I think a lot of it is because the team's not flowing as it was, he's actually just going to search for the ball when I would like to see him further forward. I was on another broadcast earlier today talking about Leicester and they were talking about Iniacho saying how was how he playing and he's not really been the player that everyone thought and I, and I said around I said well he's been playing very well but but I would like to see him play alongside a centre forward he would work best alongside someone else at front he's not a lone striker and he was just like a lost kid in that penalty area and especially against Birmingham when they were chipping the balls in from the likes of Gray and, and especially Albright, and it was never going to work with Iniacho just standing there going, well, I'm not going to win these headers. It, it, it's ridiculous, unless you are a, a little five-yard dinky chip which which worked for the goal. He's not, be, he's not going to be that player. But, um, it, it, and so it was, just, it was just really blunt. And the problem with that is when you have a player like Ben Chilwell, just to touch on Chilwell again, when he's running forward with the ball or when he's been given a ball, he's not the most decisive player in the world. He's just going to float one into an area. He's not the most decisive player going forward. So when it's all stop starting very slow, he's he's just not an attacking fullback in that sense. Counter-attack, yes. Flying down the wing on the overlap, yes. Reacting to a free-flow move and not letting him to think about things. He has to react Absolutely fine. That's his game. Not this, where it's slow build up and the team sit back. And again, a lot of criticism came his way. But it it was just a real shame. We score the goal. I'm pretty sure we win. Hats off to Norwich. They did a Leicester. You could it could easily have been blue shirts instead of yellow from Leicester from a few years ago. And uh, but overall, in terms of the Premier League, it hasn't made an awful lot of difference. It's not, and also it wasn't the worst result of the weekend, which made me feel even better about it. You know, Liverpool getting thumped by Watford was the standout top V bottom uh, shock, if you like. Uh, and I completely agree with you, Pete. We we just it, there doesn't seem to be enough speed or decisiveness in the final third. Uh, and James Madison is tasked with making things happen, and the best chance he's got of making things happen is if the players behind him can find him in between the lines, in between the uh, opposition's defence and midfield. But it's becoming increasingly clear that either teams are becoming more savvy to that and are closing those gaps that he likes to operate in, or, and I think it's a combination of both, um, the Leicester players are not as confident at the moment, so their first touch is just ever so slightly more negative than it was before. If you're talking before Christmas, sort of before December, really, most Leicester players, they would open up their body, take a positive first touch and always be looking for a forward pass. That is when you can find James Madison with a yard or two of space. And that's all he really needs when you find him in those right areas. But 
you know, if he goes 90 minutes trying to operate in those areas and nobody finds him, we call him out for not going and seeking the ball and not taking responsibility for the creative side of the game. Uh, and now people are saying, oh, he's coming so deep that he's not able to affect the game. But he's coming so deep because he's not seeing any of the ball. So he's at least saying, all right, if I come and get it 20, 30 yards deeper than I'd like, at least I can try and make something happen. But then the problem with that is that Madison is essentially supposed to be the link between midfield and attack. And when you play one striker up front, whether it's Vardy or whether it's Acho, look at Vardy's um, drought, if you like, before he's been out with this um, minor calf injury. He wasn't scoring goals and that's down to service. Acho last couple of games has looked extremely isolated through no fault of his own. He is trying to play on the shoulder. He is trying to be a focal point for the attack. And I think you're absolutely right, Pete. He, w- he would work better in a, in a two-man strike force. But he can play in a one if the other players are getting up with him in support. And and to do that, you've got to find Madison's feet 15, 20 yards further forward. But uh, So Mad- when Madison comes deeper for the ball, nobody's going beyond him. So then if you do get the ball into Iheanacho's feet, you're asking him to hold it for a good few seconds with opposition players crowding around him before he's able to lay it off. And that's not really his strength anyway, let alone when he's got nobody else in the same colour shirt within 20 yards of him. And I think that's that that is a large part of the difficulties that we're having in opposition territory is that we the first thought is stop the ball or or take a sort of sideways or even backwards touch and then the next one is a 10-15 yard square ball and Norwich were happy to just trot across gently to that side of the pitch and then when it moved to the other side just amble across to the other side again with with a lot of security in the sense that Leicester weren't going to penetrate them very much and, and they struggled to do so so it's it's about rediscovering that sort of... It almost has to be um, instantaneous. It has to be instinctive to open up and have a look forward and see if you can get that ball out of your feet into Madison much earlier so that he can create something. And that I think that the sort of speed and positivity of the final approach play is where the uh, goal struggle is coming from. And also there's the lack of a plan B, which we've not needed so far this year. There's no height from the bench. Looking at the bench, you can change a light for like. You can bring a more attacking midfielder on. I think, for instance, Madison, when Ineacho's in the side, he needs to be so close to him. He needs to be so far further up. He is a number 10. He needs to be playing virtually alongside him. Because he needs to be able to turn, slip balls in for Iniacho, who can play delicately himself. He can play as a ten, and we can we can we've seen so far this year that the link up play with Iniacho has been there. It's been there, and but it's the plan B because Leicester just look devoid of any ideas. Did they look like equalising after Norwich took, took the lead? Not at all for me. I know they missed Jamie Vardy, but it 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 was flat. It really was, and that's been the case for. The last few games, in parts, we've got a very good point at Wolves. I know you lose to Man City at home, but they played very well, I thought, especially in the second half against Chelsea. And then they were flat against Norwich. It's just at the moment it's not fully clicking. And every, as we've seen with the Watford against Liverpool, anything can happen in football. And if you're not 
playing well, if you're not on your A game in the Premier League, you're going to lose. Against Birmingham, it was slightly different because it was a changed side. And they played, and I thought they would play Dumari Gray and, and, and obviously Mark Albrighton as well. Now, it's difficult after not playing for a long time. Albrighton's come on in little parts of games, but uh, Gray's been kind of absent from the from the side for a while now. And to then just come straight back in, to, to you've got to hit your straps. You're a professional footballer, but uh, neither of them really for me, perform to any level which makes them kind of knocking at the door of the first team or being an, an, an impact sub to come on earlier than they have been recently. And, and I think you agree with me after uh, a text that he sent me uh, uh, after the game. And and Birmingham, they, they played well. They've got nothing really up front. They've got um, the big tall lad and they're a very, very tall team. And it was just a bit easy for Leicester just to knock the balls into the area, and I was a bit disappointed in that uh, part of the game. But especially second half, I think I think Leicester it was it was very much a nil nil first half. Where I think Birmingham played okay, but in the second half it was all Leicester, wasn't it? It was completely dominated. Um, they got their foot on the ball more. It was nice to see Ndidi play. His substitution was a, a, a scripted, a scheduled before the game substitution, but it's good to see him back playing. How how we've missed him really. So, but I was impressed of how Leicester responded at half time to probably the urgings of the manager, and they completely dominated the second half. And it was just a matter of time. They started to pepper the goal. Goalkeeper made one or two smart saves. The post was hit. It was, um, it, it was a dominating performance, and they got the goal. One of those aimless balls from from Chilwell. I think maybe a little bit harsh because he he dinked it over the goalkeeper, knowing that around the other side there will be Chilwell, uh, there will be Albrighton because that's where he plays. And then it was a, a simple chip back for a good header from Ricardo, and they get the goal. And it, it never looked like they were going to uh, concede an equaliser. So uh, so there we go, and we advanced to the next round. It wasn't the most exciting game in the world, but in the FA Cup, all that matters is getting through to the next round. I don't think. The game against Birmingham has any relevance to how they'll play against Aston Villa. I don't think the game against Birmingham has any um, narrative from the performance against Norwich that spilled over into the Birmingham performance. I, I think that was just a typical FA Cup side with a weakened Leicester side through injury, through changes. And those people who came into the side didn't really perform to knock on the first team door, as I mentioned earlier. I just think it was one of those games which you instantly forget and you look forward to the next round. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's what knockout football is all about. It, it it has no real bearing on on the rest of your season unless you're a lower league club and you and you take a, a big scalp. And that typically happens when those clubs are struggling in their respective leagues and it kind of boosts their morale really. But from Leicester's point of view, it was very much a we've got to get through this game. And I think that was reflected in the team selection. You know, the only two that you would say that haven't featured in the first team this season were the two wingers. Uh, and my text, uh, I'll, I'll admit the swear word from it, but the text I sent you at half time last night was um, who who the um, F word are these two blokes wearing seven and 11 for us? Aren't they supposed to be Premier League wingers? And you just put... Ha ha ha, they both have to go. Uh, and I think that 
kind of sums up our, our, our thoughts towards them. You know, Damari Gray has had chance after chance after chance over the last few years to come on and just take somebody on. I genuinely can't remember the last time I saw him have a go one-on-one at a fullback. And if you're not doing that as a young winger who we're saying has potential, then what on earth are you actually doing? Michael Brighton's never been the kind of winger that can beat somebody. He's all about the um, the early ball. And we even saw that in the title-winning season. Sometimes his early balls were absolutely woeful. But a lot of the early balls sprung offside traps, counter-attacks, got the ball in behind the defence before they'd had a chance to set. And, and he has been a major part of the club's recent success. So I feel more... Um, I feel less inclined really to call Lord Brighton out, but he did not play particularly well um, last night. He got the assist, but Ricardo's done everything for that goal. Lord Brighton's tried the, to dummy the fullback, who's gone to ground very easily. Lord Brighton's then he's backed out because he thinks the fullback's going to clatter him, and then he's realised the fullback's got nowhere near the ball and it's just there for the taking. So he chops back, and then to to chip that ball in from about 10 yards away from Ricardo, gave him everything to do. And, you know, Ricardo's not the tallest of men. And he's got that, um, was it Clark Salter, the lad on loan from Chelsea, charging forward a few yards because he's got a chance to attack it. And somehow Ricardo's managed to almost head it over his shoulder, the net, the power in his neck to guide that into the far post. I think it's a fantastic goal. Um, and, you know, you'd look at the stats there and say, oh, Brighton's played 90 minutes and got himself an assist, but... No, 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 no. We need to strengthen in wide areas come the summer because those two players are our backup wingers and they are getting absolutely nowhere near worrying Perez or Barnes. Nowhere near. And also, I would say that Perez and Barnes are, I'm not going to say unproven, but I would say, and we've said for a long time, that those areas of the side could be improved. Is Perez a winger? No, he's not. He's a person who I'd like to see behind a main centre-forward in a 10 role. I know Madison plays there at the moment. Can he play further back? Possibly, if you maybe play a Pratt and and, um, and Ndidi, that could possibly work. Barnes is as an up-and-coming player in the Premier League in his first full season, really, in the Premier League, who has the potential of being very good. So, in those positions... There is a possibility for you, if you go on a run of good form, to get a first-team spot. It's not happened for Gray. I don't think it will at Leicester. And also, with him being omitted from squads, etc., I've got half an inkling that he might be on his way in the summer because teams will be wanting him. He'll be a commodity at his age and, and what he's done in his in his career, especially at international level for the under-21s, he's highly thought of. And he'll be on many people's shopping list, I'm sure. And and good luck to him. All Brighton, I think, slightly different because of his age. And also, when we sign Edward in the summer, Edward, the uh, centre forward from Celtic that I want us to buy, I could see then All Brighton with with someone to you know a, a bit more of a taller centre forward. All Brighton automatically not comes into the side, but there's your plan B: person who can cross the ball, big man in the middle. I'm not talking just smash the ball along all the time, but. That happens. It happens. It's happened with a number of strikers when he's been at Leicester, including Ujo would be the, the main example. It happened with Slomani, probably not as often as, as I would have liked it to, but it, it still happened for many goals 
Champions League goals as well. And that would be something where you could still have Albrighton in the squad. They're not going to challenge the first team at the moment, which with the performances that Perez is putting in, and, and he played so well in the second half against Chelsea at home, and, he, and he's a very good player. But it, when they in those games, again against Norwich, move him in the centre, change things around, put him as a number nine, put him right up front with uh, Iniacho's there, put him alongside, play two up top, make things happen. He's played as a number nine for Newcastle. He, he's scored goals, just hanging him out wide. He's never going to be a player who's going to beat players for pace. We know he's not the quickest player. It could have been shuffled around a little bit more. And I know we're, we're talking about a defeat um, to a team who, who are arguably, and it's a term I've heard on numerous occasions now, saying that the, the best bottom place team in the Premier League that there's ever been, really. You could argue that in many ways. But uh, I think we probably were at the time before we went on that run. So there's lots of things that could happen, but I, I can't see... Gray really having a future at Leicester, and 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 just what you you see with Gray in terms of him being on the bench, in terms of the reaction of Rogers and what he said about him early in the summer uh, and earlier in the season. Then he went on that run of oh, actually he he started a few games, he came off the bench and played really well. It's like he's been given the rocket and it it's just not worked. He's just not kicked on at all, and and he's way down the pecking order now. And also when you see the team that played against Birmingham. You look towards next season and you've got Dewsbury Hall scoring goals on loan at Blackpool playing very well. Uh, you've got one or two youngsters who are banging at the door and you're thinking these could easily be in an FA Cup side and a League Cup side and playing, being on the bench in the Premier League side. And you'd prefer them to be there instead of someone like Gray. That's that's the way it is now and I'm afraid he's his turn for me now is completely up. But we'll... But that's all to do in the summer. When we sign Wilfred Zaha and this Edward, we'll be fine. Are you dreaming with those blue-tinted spectacles on again? It sounds like it. I think you're right. You know, a youth player, if you put an arm round one and said, look, I'm going to bring you on for the last 20 minutes or something, just do me a favour. Every time you get the ball, go and have a go at their fullback, And you'll be in... You won't get any flack from anybody for losing it. Just have a go. I think that's why Leicester fans uh, love Harvey Barnes so much. He just gets the ball and he runs at the defender every time. If you're a fullback and you've been playing against that for 90 minutes, you're going to come off and know you've been in a game. You're a fullback playing against Damari Gray. You're just like, well, I'll stand him up. I'll watch him amble inside. I'll watch him lay it square. That is genuinely all their fullback had to do in the Birmingham game last night. You play against Harvey Barnes, you are thinking, "Uh uh-oh, he might drive inside onto his right. He's equally capable of driving outside on his left. And he's absolutely rapid. And he seems fearless. You know, even when people were calling out his his final his ability in the final third with um, the final ball or the, or the finish, didn't stop him. He didn't stop taking people on. And he still does. And that, for me, is the point blank, the difference. Because Damari Gray's delivery and decision-making is not good enough like Mark Albrighton's is to not be the kind of winger that takes somebody on. That's that's just simple. I like your idea of a plan B, Pete. I think I think you're right. I think I don't know if Brendan Rodgers is the kind of manager that is too stubborn, has negative connotations, but he's very much prescribed in the way he wants to play football. And I don't know whether a plan B is a thing for him. It's just to keep working until plan A works. Um, 
but yeah, a striker that is in the six foot uh, uh, height area rather than, than the five foot something would definitely give us an extra option. And not saying sign a big donkey like Jukovic who was playing last night for Birmingham. You know, you're saying sign somebody who's big and athletic and mobile. Uh, and, and it does give you a slightly different option. And I totally agree with you as well in the fact that it seemed to me that the attacking intent with the changes just wasn't really there when we were losing to Norwich. And again, I think that goes back to the point I just made about Rogers saying, right, this is the way we're going to play and we are going to make it work. And sometimes as supporters, when it's not working, that's quite frustrating, but he's got a long-term plan and let's be honest, it's not going too badly so far. It's not. And it'll be interesting to see who we do sign. And we've got the money. We'll come onto the accounts in a, in a little bit. But then after the game against Birmingham, the, the FA Cup draw was made. I was, I was just finishing at work. Um, we just uh, signed off. We just lock, um, gone off air at the time. And uh, so the draw was made. And I was shouting, oh, come on, we want um, Newcastle at home, maybe Sheffield United at home. Because it was quite a strong lineup. There's no. Um, lower league side at the moment, in, the, in apart from Derby, who are, at the time of recording are, are playing against United. So, uh, in fact, I'll just change the channel actually, see how they're getting on. Um, and so it would have been nice to get a, a home tie against one of those, but it, you're in the quarterfinals of the uh, of the FA Cup, and I kind of made a, a, a big error because I was um, with a few um, Watford fans and Luton fans, etc., in that area. And uh, and and I said when they were drawn out last, obviously it was going to be against Chelsea. Okay, then at home against Chelsea, and they were so home against Chelsea. And I says, oh no, not again. And they're like, what? I said, well, we played them two years ago when we got to the quarterfinals of both cups, lost to Man City and Chelsea. Arguably, should have beaten both. Both went to extra time um, penos for the Man City game and extra time Pedro with the winner for Chelsea. But we had the chances to win the game. I said, this time we will play our first team. I mean, it sounds, if you if, if you think back to those games now, it sounds absolutely bonkers that we did not play our first team in the quarterfinal of two cup competitions in the position where we were in the league. How we didn't play our first team, I have no idea. I mean, Vardy was on the bench. He came off and scored, off the bench and scored uh, the equaliser. I think with about a quarter of an hour to go against Chelsea, and I'm sure it's Pedro who scored. I'll check that. And um, and then the Man City game, you know, went to, we 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 should have won those. How and why we didn't play the first team, no idea. But anyway, the fellow workers and that they, they turned around and said, "Crocky, but success has gone to your head. You're bemoaning the fact that you're in the quarterfinals of the, of the FA Cup, and and you're moaning that you've got to play Chelsea again." And I kind of went, "Actually, yeah, good point." If you're a top team, which we are, you're going to be play, playing the other top teams and the latter end of cup competitions. That's just the way it is. We got the look of the draw, we thought, when we drew Villa in the League Cup quarter and semi-finals. Look how that works out. It didn't. So, as you all, as you all know, we'll we'll wait and see what happens. But uh, it's not ideal. Can we beat them? Yes, we can. We should have beat them in the league. It's. It's going to be a good game. It's going to be loud. It's going to be full. And it's a quarterfinal of the FA Cup. And we shouldn't take it for granted. That's probably the main thing. We've got there and we are one game away from possibly playing at Wembley. Or should I say possibly having fans being at Wembley when Leicester play. 
That sounds quite good, doesn't it? Possibly on a, another route to Wembley. I think you've made an important point there, Pete. I think you've got to you've got to look at Leicester's recent history, and, and probably me being the age that I am, I would say the recent history is is the amount of time that I've really been following Leicester City. You might say that's slightly older history now, the older I get. But you know, you've gone from the late nineties, mid to late nineties under Martin O'Neill, regular top ten finishes but never really considered to be a big club. It was almost sort of an overachieving mid-table club, really. You know, a couple of trophies in that time. And we had a period of time, unfortunately coinciding when when I was a season ticket holder, where we were barely scraping by in the championship. And I watched some absolute tripe at what was then the Walkers Stadium. So, So now we are back in a position where we are in and around the top end of the Premier League. We are disappointed to be, significantly disappointed to be losing a a League Cup semi-final Uh, and bemoaning the fact that we have drawn Chelsea again in a quarter-final of the world's most famous cup competition. So, yeah, I know we've talked about the frustrations of recent results, etc., but in the grand scheme of things, it could be an awful lot worse. We could be 17th in the championship watching Josh Lowe try and head another crossfield diagonal goal kick from Paul Henderson. You know, things could be a lot worse. It could be a lot worse. And it could be a lot worse when we discuss transfers in the summer, etc. Uh, regarding the accounts, now I'm not going to go through every single profit and loss and, and what happened, but I think the overall picture from me... These were announced the other day. Was it? It's, it seems absolutely fine, and and you would expect that the way the clubs run now. We made a huge profit a couple of years ago after winning the league and playing in the Champions League, uh, just over ninety million pounds uh, overall. Twenty million pound loss, but the revenue's gone up twenty million. Um, we paid uh, money out for Rogers. Uh, staff costs have gone up thirty million as well. Spent thirteen million on the training ground. There's a new video. Uh, for for the training grounds, you can find that if you go to uh, anything online to do with Leicester in terms of Facebook or Twitter, the official avenues, you'll be able to find uh, the training ground videos. Uh, also, there's the Leicestershire in the sky. If you search for them on uh, Facebook, uh, that guy, whoever runs that or whoever does that with his drone, goes over the because uh, he's based in Loughborough, so it's not a million miles away. Uh, also, there was, uh, interestingly enough, 2.6 million on the expansion plans for the King Power Stadium. Uh, commercial revenues up and up and up. Uh, they spent a lot of money on players. We know in that period, Madison, uh, Ricardo, Soyuncu, uh, Benkovic, etc. They sold Mares uh, and Ahmed Musa. That's how far back these uh, that year would go to. The Maguire sale would be on next year's. So don't uh, don't count that. So overall, really, a twenty million pound loss is is not a lot if you just look at the fact that. Basically, what they've what they've lost is the money they've spent on the training ground in that year, which was only thirteen million, forty one million so far uh, this year, and also bringing Rogers and his staff to the club. That equates to what they've done. So overall, it's not anything really to write home about. I think you just put it down as a very steady set of accounts. And again, the club is well run. It'll be interesting to see what happens next year with the Maguire sale in there. But obviously, there'll be a lot of money for the training ground and possibly expansion plans, hopefully they're announced soon. So kind of the headline figure is there isn't a headline. It's just steady as she goes. Yeah, and a lot of that money, 
it's not really obviously when you look at it in in layman's terms it is very much um well did that money come in or did that money go out but it's not money that's been lost as such uh, i know financially you would use the word lost but that that's an investment in the long-term future of the football club the training ground uh, and bringing in brendan rogers uh was an investment in, in terms of a football club in the short to medium term that is currently providing us with the the level of success that befits a stadium expansion and a training ground move so it's all been reinvested for the future aims of the club it's not as many other owners do coming in gung-ho big spending oh we've got losses we're in trouble we're going to back out it is as you say a very well-run club money going into the right places um and yeah like you say no headlines nothing to worry about from my point of view nice to see the ongoing commitment from the owners to developing this football club even further now what isn't nice to see is the uh, ongoing corona problem uh, i've done my bit by buying a uh, big crate of uh, corona lager because their sales have gone down so i think that's going to help but uh, there is a more serious side we won't touch on what's going on elsewhere but just in terms of football uh, empty stadiums now you're looking at a very distinct possibility that in the Premier League there will be a ban on supporters as they, as the government lined out different stages. And once we move into the next stage, that's when things are more than likely to be banned. We'll just see what happens as it goes on. The fair play handshake before the games, that's been banned. That's more of a symbolism. That's a, a, a symbol that everyone sees. So it, it's basically getting the, the general public aware of how things get transmitted, etc. I think that's just, again, nothing really to do with protecting players. I don't think there's anything involved with at the football club on training grounds and all that sort of thing. That's just really, to be honest, a, a bit of nonsense. Um, and, I, and coming from the world that I come from, from, from the betting industry, from, from horse racing with the, the Cheltenham Festival next week, um, one of the biggest uh, betting market in recent years uh, appeared basically is the event going to go ahead? Is day one on the 10th, on the Tuesday, going to go ahead? It's broken all records for markets like this as people basically hedge their bets. If you spent an awful lot of money coming over to travel and also on hotels, etc., then you can bet against it happening, knowing that if it does get cancelled, then you're going to make a bit of money back on what you've lost on, on hotels and everything. And that sort of thing, I know it's kind of half tongue-in-cheek and it's a, it's a little bit of fun surrounding a serious incident, but when things start to get banned, and again, the way things are going, that's not an alarmist point of view. That's pretty much what's happening elsewhere in the world and what they've kind of said probably will happen towards the end of the season. It's something we're just going to have to keep an eye on and, and, and see what happens. It's I think it will happen. If it, you know, That's just my own personal opinion. I think towards the end of the season there will be because it's quite an easy thing to do, with the, especially at Premier League level. Okay, Because, first of all, it's such high profile. It, there's so many people there. For instance, on Sunday, Old Trafford, there'll be, what, 76,000, the highest attendance in the Premier League. That's the biggest gathering that there will be in the UK over that period of time and maybe for for the next two or three weeks again eclipsing anything at, at Cheltenham popping maybe 90,000 there on the Friday but um but what we mentioned when I meant when we were talking about the uh the poppies actually on uh, on Remembrance Day saying that 
a lot of the uh, comments regarding Leicester this year was it was a bit over the top, and and I said, and you said as well, it's one of the biggest gatherings in Leicestershire, the biggest gathering in Leicestershire. So obviously it's going to be marked very well and, and, and slightly over the top because I know it's a football game, but it's where the most people congregate in one period of time nearest to the 11th of November. Now, when it comes to this virus, a lot of people will be saying, oh, it, well, th- there's this, there's tubes, there's this, that and the other. Yes, but football, especially at the Premier League level, such a high-profile thing with this fair play handshake again being eliminated. It's, that's just a symbol thing. But it's an easy thing to do because I don't think it will affect the clubs, first of all. okay, Most of the tickets have been sold already through season tickets. Most of the tickets can then be reimbursed at no extra cost. We know, even looking at the accounts for Leicester, how much Leicester actually make through ticket sales. A lot of it's to do with revenue. The, the games are more than likely to be broadcast still. So they're going to get the money from the live broadcast from Sky on BT. The games can still go ahead, so there won't be any changes to the timetable. Basically, the sport carries on. There just won't be anyone in the grounds. That's going to be annoying for spectators but in the great scheme of things if it needs to happen it will happen further down the football pyramid there will be questions but that's again for for for, for the authorities etc to deal with but I can see it happening but again I can't see it being a major issue if you think about it in the long run in terms of money but also at this juncture with what's going on in the world yeah a few games in empty stadiums is not going to break football clubs banks certainly not at the level that we're playing at as you say the the, the television broadcasting sponsorship etc uh, packages will more than cover um, that obviously it's, it wouldn't be ideal to play an entire season in front of a, an empty stadium from revenue and atmosphere point of view but at this moment in time as you say it looks likely that it, it is going to continue coming our way and it would just be a, an interesting challenge, really, for the players if we look at it purely from a, a footballing point of view. You're a professional footballer. You're used to getting that buzz of playing in front of tens of thousands of people. And then all of a sudden, you, you're going out onto an echoey, um, empty, sort of concrete bowl, as the King Power would be. And it would be a different, prepos- uh, a different proposition, really. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see what kind of level of football you get from it. Obviously, it would be a competitive game against another Premier League side, two sets of professional footballers. None of that changes. But it would be interesting to see a few games in front of, well, in front of nobody, behind closed doors, if you like, how that would affect the the players purely from a playing point of view. Because it, it happens so rarely in this country. I know um, internationally and in, in, in Euro, in European games, the the sort of stadium ban or the the supporter ban is a wide more widely used deterrent uh, but you don't see it very often in this country certainly not in the premier league the most sort of lucrative league in in the world so it will be it'll be interesting it's it's from a purely from a footballing point of view I, I don't know anywhere near enough about it to look at it from anything medical um or you know in terms of it as an epidemic but from a footballing point of view it will make things interesting for a few weeks because I'd imagine like you know scares that have gone before you know you're talking about all the different ones that spread very quickly you know your bird flu swine flu SARS all that didn't really cause much bother in this country 
and you know nobody can predict what's going to happen over the next few weeks preventative is certainly the way that the country's going at the moment obviously i work in um education now, i work in primary school so we've uh You'd be interested in it. We've all got, uh, in our classrooms now, we've all got snuffle stations where there's step-by-step guides to the children as to how to use tissues and to put them in the bin and then to wash their hands after. And they also have to sing a song that goes to the tune of Row, Row, Row Your Boat about washing hands, and they've got to do it for at least 20 seconds. So I'm well in line with the preventative stuff, and I think stadium closures will be the next thing just to stop so many people coming into contact with each other. Um, But it'll be interesting from a footballing point of view what that'll do. Well, at my work in the studio, in the uh, sound booth, what they've decided to do is uh, whoever's in there, which could easily be me, uh, they're going to lock the door and tape up, gaffer tape up around the edge of the door. So if the building is shut down, they could remotely operate uh, the cameras and the direction and then they could have a feed into the sound booth and I'll be locked in there. So I've got to take two or three days worth of food in with me i mean this is all obviously nonsense but um this is the scenario that we've kind of uh making light of of obviously a serious situation and we don't know anything do we rob we're both idiots but on a football level the the one thing that gets me is it's lower down the football pyramid and we won't go into an awful lot but if those games are going behind the closed doors that's when clubs need that revenue and there could be some awkward conversations and scenarios pan out later on. But uh, but anyway, that's what happens. Hopefully it all blows over and, and, and nothing really dramatic happens. So Aston Villa, the next game at home on Monday night. Christ, do we owe them. You know, we owe them for the League Cup semi-finals. Uh, we owe them just because they're Villa as well. It's 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 a good game. And I think Leicester are going to be right up for it. I think they are as well. They need to be. They're in a whole world of bother. It's a really good match. It's live on TV. I should be there, but I'm not. I won't be there. Are you Are you going, Rob, just out of interest? No. No. I, I, I was going to be there, but it's the day before Cheltenham. I've got my head buried in books and um, doing bits and bobs for work the next day. So I won't be there, but I'll be watching. I'm pretty, I presume it's going to be a great atmosphere. I'm glad... Villa lost in the League Cup final because that would have just been awkward. Talk about gloating. It doesn't matter where you are in the league table. You can just gloat galore if you went, if you beat a team in the semi-final, then win the cup. But now, you know, in terms of songs and etc., it's going to be a very good atmosphere. Can we win? Yes. Should we win? Yes. And fingers crossed, Vardy's back. That it should be a hundred miles an hour, and also. And this is what I'd like the game to be, slightly more open, okay? Slightly more end-to-end. Leicester are just by far the better side, okay? In terms of their centre-forwards, this matter that they've got, scored a few goals, looks very good in the air, really good header in the final itself. We know how good Grealish is and what he will do. He will try and win free kicks at every opportunity to then have those set plays that can be played into the area for Samata, etc., and also bringing Mings up top as well for, for corners and then, and for those free kicks. So he's going to be falling around all over the place. But if I was the manager, I'd tell him that. If anyone touches you, go to ground, get a free kick, relieve some pressure, bring the players forward. That's that's the big danger. And it will be a big danger. I would be... Because of that, I, I wouldn't be amazed if they changed the formation, Leicester. And I know that sounds strange because they're towards the bottom of the table, what, second bottom, in trouble. But we know Leicester can beat them in the formation that we would play. We should have done that at home in the League Cup. We should have done that away. We um, we obviously beat them at Villa Park in the league. 
And we know we can. Okay, we know how well Villa can play and how well Leicester play, can play. But I just fear that, or, or think that Leicester, they might, they might just change things around to combat that height by playing maybe three at the back, by having three taller players at the back, maybe bringing in Christian Fuchs or Wes Morgan into that back line to say, right, if you get any opportunities from free kicks or from corners, we've got an extra tall player here at the back. And that should give us more of a presence in defence. Um, also, it would mean that their lone forward would then be surrounded by those players. So wherever he goes, there will be another tall player there, etc. Also, they can cover on the sides, round the back ball to the back post, etc. There'll be again. It sounds quite a simple thing to think, but or, or quite a strange thing to... Why would we change our formation to combat what a team who are second bottom of the league have? But we've not beat them over the two games. We didn't beat them in the League Cup. And a lot of the conversation before the game will be, that doesn't matter, it's not the Premier League. I disagree, it, it does matter. Okay, They know that they can beat Leicester. They know they've got that one-upmanship up on us, regardless of what happened in the Premier League, where we pretty much wiped the floor with them at Villa Park. That game just doesn't matter at all. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is, if there is a slight change. What that happens... Uh, what then happens further forward, who knows? If they play the three at the back, would that mean that obviously Chilwell plays on one side and Ricardo the other? Yes, I don't like Chilwell as a wing-back. I think he's better as a left-back going forward from deep. In the middle of the park, I'd imagine that Tillemans will come in. Okay, If they play the regular formation, it would just be as and per usual with um, Ndidi, Tillemans, Madison, Vardy, Barnes and probably Perez or whoever. If they play 3-5-2, we'll wait and see. But again, it would be very similar. Possibly the team that played against Manchester City with um, maybe a more attacking sense in the middle of the park with Iniacho and then Jamie Vardy up front. We'll see what happens. What do you think, Rob? I'm, I'm very confident about a Leicester win. I think it's going to be open. I think it's going to be slightly end-to-end. -end. I can see both teams scoring, but I can see Leicester... Just not stopping because they want to overturn what happened in the League Cup. Yeah, if I was saying before that a lot of fans will have earmarked the game against Norwich recently as as the one to get us back up to the level that we've seen earlier on in the season, uh, and that didn't happen, then this is certainly that game, isn't it? There's an, there's an added extra little bit of bite to it with what happened in the League Cup. Um the the good thing about us moving to three at the back, if this if that is the choice, is that it doesn't necessarily sound as negative as it as it might do with with other teams because we do have the opportunity to bring in Christian Fuchs as a as a centre back, and he's extremely good on the ball. You know, if you could give Ben Chilwell uh, some more of Christian Fuchs' ability to pick a pass, some of his technical ability. It'd be unbelievable. You know, Christian Fuchs would kill for Chilwell's athleticism. Chilwell, I'm sure, would kill for Fuchs' technical ability. And, you know, if you brought in somebody like Morgan or Bennett, then I would say that would be a negative step. Um, it would look like you are not scared of Aston Villa, but it, it wouldn't be the most positive choice you could make. But bringing Fuchs in really does not change anything because you play Evans as the central one. And then you've got Fuchs and Soyuncu who are more than happy playing with the ball in the opposition's half and, and picking out passes and, and, and being comfortable on the ball. Uh, and equally, 
you then have the option really to, to go to a four if one of your fullbacks has disappeared. Soon you can happily shuffle across and cover at right back if Ricardo's gone. Uh, Fuchs can do the same at left back if, if Chilwell's gone and Ricardo can tuck in. So you, you're never overly exposed in that situation. The area that it does um, condense really is the centre of the park and it, and it means that Chilwell in particular, who lacks ideas on the ball, um, and I agree with you, Peter, much better coming from deep, it does mean that he's got nothing beyond him. It means that he'd have to come inside. It does mean it would potentially get quite congested. But we aren't the tallest of teams and it would combat any kind of physical set-piece threat because they have got they typically play with three centre-backs. And as you say, Samata is good in the air as well. So it'll be interesting because, you know, I'm 50-50 with it. You kind of, half of me wants to say we go and play our formation, we play our way um, because uh, we're at home and we should be taking the game to a team that are in the relegation zone. But part of me thinks, you know what, you've got to respect every opponent in this league. And if that is going to help to combat some of their strengths whilst not weakening us, then why wouldn't you do it? But, you know, we we talk about football, but we're definitely not paid to make those kind of big decisions. I'm going to go for a Leicester win. I'm going to go for a 3-1, maybe even 4-1. I think Vardy's going to score. I can just see... Leicester getting back in the groove against, uh, again, a, a team. Hopefully what that League Cup final does to Villa is it kind of knocks the stuffing out of them because now they've got to go back to the grind, back to the relegation dogfights. And maybe by the time of recording, they could be even further inside the relegation zone. On the other side to Leicester, Man United play Man City. You'd expect them probably to lose that game or at least maybe most get a point, say. Uh, Wolves, they play at home against Brighton. You expect a home win there. Uh, I, I can see Leicester winning. And I think they'll score goals and score a few. I'm not convinced the gap will be that big. I'm going to go 2-1. I'd like Vardy to get back on the score sheet. I think it'd be healthy if we play, certainly if we play two up front for Vardy and Iheanacho to both score. You know, both the club strikers to get on the score sheet. But I, I'm with you. Uh, I'm definitely in favour well obviously I'm in favour but I'm, I'm back in a Leicester win Excellent I, I I can see I can just see it being a, a good win actually I mean obviously scoring four or five goals would be great but I think uh, we're kind of in the realms of what happened against Birmingham here three points is what we need we just need to get a win and then maybe the good performances and goals can come later on but uh, I, I think we'll do very well I can see a comprehensive win uh, now final few things um, just to touch on it's uh, I think it was 20 years to the day when uh, we played Sunderland at home when Colin Moore scored a hat-trick there's been a lot on social media with the goals there's an extended clip of the game which includes a, a number of uh, chances all the goals for them as well, it was live on Sky, so you got the uh, the Tyler Andy Gray double act doing the commentary. It's uh, it's a good watch. It's a good six or seven minute watch because it's it was what five two overall. So that's worth uh, worth noting. I remember I can still see the goals going in now. Do you know what I mean? I was there behind the goal. It was fantastic. Um, but also there is the documentary. I don't know whether you've seen the documentary. I think it's been out for a. A, a little while, a few weeks, but uh, there's an extended clip on Twitter. So if you go to at LCFC, the official Twitter account, not only can you see that extended highlights of the Sunderland game in 2000, but also 
They've got the 20-year documentary uh, regarding the League Cup final win over Tranmere. And there's an extended preview clip, which I watched, of about nine minutes. And I think a lot of people listening to this maybe have seen the full... I think it's about 90 minute long. The whole thing is... It's a massive documentary. And I've only just... I think I've seen that it's available. But I watched the nine minute preview or, or clip at the beginning of the uh, of the whole thing just before actually we came on air it looks fantastic you've got matt everyone's talking you know elliot cotty lennon uh is it's taggart obviously taggart's being interviewed at the football group at the football club you've got lennon obviously up in um at celtic being interviewed cotty looks like he's in his front room elliot's at wembley stadium it it, it looks tremendous and for it to be so long I, I I think I might be just late on this. It's been out for a while, but apparently you can watch it on the website. So I'm going to try and hook that up to the to the big TV and 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 have a watch. So if you haven't seen that, take a look at the free preview clips and then have a look. See, because I I'm, that certainly interests me. I think that's um, Sunday evening, pretty much sorted. Have you seen them, Rob? I haven't. No, I've seen I've seen little sort of teasers of it. I've not seen the full um, nine minute sort of intro-y thing like you have but it's on my to watch list possibly this weekend it would be good to to reminisce wouldn't it really to to sort of winning trophies in that in that era and there's so many names that you will forever associate with Leicester City that that you've just mentioned there that, that will feature in it so definitely on my to watch list Oh, it's, it's fantastic because they, they went through each round and they started the, the clip basically is about when they played against Palace and it went to a replay because uh, Zagarakis went in goal and all sorts kicked. It happened in the game and they're telling all the stories. It, it just looks fantastic, proper fanboy type stuff. So, yeah, well worth a watch, even though I haven't seen it all myself. But I'm going to take a look at that this weekend and uh, it looks really good. I presume lots of people, and we're going to get bombarded now with tweets and that saying, yeah, it's been out for ages. Where, where have you been? Anyway, the final thing though, Rob, is uh, something we've done for a while, and that's the Fancy Football League. Let's find out who, who's in the top ten and who's uh, slipping further down away from the top ten. Hmm. Anyway, play that music, Rob. Down into tenth place, it's Perco, Loudmouth FC, on 1,500 and 76 so for this instance i'll just use the 576 in ninth pedro city matthew archer's side 578 points down into eighth place it's cliff frost with the green bay foxes 580 points up into seventh vardy annuals mike oxlong with a, a good week this week 43 points up to uh, 590 points down into sixth it's gav brown with the saigon foxes 593 points up into the top five in fifth place ben payne beer salona with 606 points and then the top four are as they were ben melbourne with vini vidi vardi 649 in the top three in third place graham large with whole yotta love he's been in really good form and jotter at uh, wolves so he's been uh, climbing the table graham large in third 662 uh, 693 points in second it's Video killed the Saudio. Alex Ekonomu has been up there for ages. And Rogers, the cabin boy, adds in front to Daniel McCready on 694 points. (laughs) 
one point between the top two with Graham Large, my mate from university days, uh, is a big Wolves fan. He's uh, in third place and not that far behind. So that's the top ten. Now we scroll down. Uh, I've had a, a terrible couple of weeks. I made a, a number of changes minus a few points and the Liverpool defeat hit me hard. And also... With Man City got a double game week this week, it's all I've not got any Man City players, it's all gone a bit wrong, really. For Super Frank Sinclair, I'm down into 22nd place now. Rob, you're up into 20th place, so you've gone back above me. We're only uh, 10 points off each other, and fully enough, those 10 points are exactly what you got more than I got this week because the week before we were on dead level points. So you're in 20th, and I'm in 22nd. And let's just find me dad, he's right at the bottom, no, second bottom. Uh, although only 21 points off uh, bottom of the league. But anyway, yeah, so you're back above me, Rob. Yeah, and we're both kind of sitting in a place where, I think which mirrors the essence of this podcast over the last five years. We're in a position where we kind of know a bit what we're talking about, but we're still some way from the cream of the crop. Speak for yourself. Well, this week, I mean, I've got a lot of... I had a lot of Wolves players, and they... um, it seems that my teams, my players are in teams scoring goals, but it's not them. I, I put a lot of money and a lot of faith in Lucas Moura scoring for Spurs because he's their only centre forward. And since this crisis, they've scored goals, but he hasn't bagged. Uh, Salah, I've got, uh, I had loads of Wolves players, but only Jimenez scored. Uh, I think this week, looking at the fixtures and looking at my players, I think I've got a good team for this week. Ings, home against Newcastle. Jimenez, home against Brighton. Vardy, home against Villa. Saudi, uh, Salah and Mane, home against Bournemouth. Yeah, I can see I can see a few points. Fingers crossed. Hopefully it's Vardy. I haven't captained uh, Vardy as yet. I might well do that. So, fingers crossed he's back. Now, so that's the end of the podcast. I've got nothing left really on my list. There were also... On the fancy football front. Um, just a word on Vardy, because again, I, I mentioned I was on uh, a, a few bits and bobs earlier, a few different stations regarding Leicester. And there was a few questions, as I said earlier, about Iniesta, but then they led on to Jamie Vardy and just about his fitness, because this is a carpenter, I'm led to believe, and he should be back, hopefully, we'll see on Monday night. But there are one or two injuries now rolling into each other. Um, when he pulled his arse in that game... I think that was just an injury during the game. But then it led on. He had the groin, which he's had a number of issues over the years. Uh, now he's, he's calf. And these injuries are starting to roll into each other. And I've always got the impression that Jamie Vardy's playing with injuries anyway. I, I don't think he's going to be ever 100% fully fit. I, I still, is he, is he playing with injections still? And it seems that at every possible opportunity towards the end of the season and especially just after the season finishes he has operations so the club would have to be and they always will be looking at new players but can you do you think this is not the beginning of the end of Jamie Vardy but these injuries are starting to creep up and when you're 33 years old it's uh, it, it, it starts to tell regardless of who you are his age is the beginning of the end of your career as a professional footballer um, so whether whether it's him or whoever else it is at 33, um, you are going to get those niggles that maybe take a little bit longer to recover from, that you pick up more frequently. Um, and like you say, I don't I don't know really 
how much impact they've had on his season. It's made him a bit more stop-start since you know he was banging in a goal a get more than a goal a game at one point, wasn't he? And then and then all of a sudden it sort of dried up around the couple of injuries. So it, it interrupts your sort of flow, your momentum, and maybe a touch of your sharpness in the in the penalty area. Um, but you're right; it does highlight the fact that. And Brendan Rodgers has been very clear in saying we can't rely on Jamie Vardy. We've relied on him for an, a number of years for, for goals, certainly. Um, and I think Ian Acho definitely has a future at this football club. But I think we do need to be looking in the market for somebody who is Premier League ready. Because it's going to get to the point where you're going to get the best out of Jamie Vardy when he's playing once a week. And if we're playing Champions League football, as is our desire for next season, couple that with the fact that we would want to go deeper into domestic cup competitions as we have this season, it's going to be an awful lot of games. You know, you're talking well over 50 games. So he's not going to be able to play all of those. So for that reason alone, we've got to be looking in the market, let alone the fact that he is now 33 these niggly injuries, they're probably not going to get fewer of them. He's probably going to continue to pick up more of them. Uh, and that will undoubtedly affect his ability to play 90 minutes twice a week. But also, I mean, just looking at my fancy team, you look at next season and you fingers crossed Champions League. Let's say we get Champions League football. A, t- a player like Danny Ings, who's had his injury problems, but I, I, for the top of my head, I can't remember how old Danny Ings is. I'm going to say he's, what, 20 say, eight years old, something along that level. I'm typing him in. He is 27 years old. Um, he will be 28 in July, so there you are, 28. Now, it's an easy thing to say, right, buy him, buy him, buy him. Edward, I've always mentioned and always will do what a great signing. I think he would be, Zaha would be the diamond, really, if possible. But if they need a centre-forward, if you're Leicester and you turn around to Southampton and say... Here's 30 million quid for a 28-year-old Danny Ings, who I know has had his injury problems, his age, but also he's their talisman. Without him, they're relegated, essentially. But if you're Danny Ings and someone like Leicester comes in and says, we want you, you're going to play with Jamie Vardy and Kalecci and Nacho in a in a three that's going to make up the, the centre-forward line for cup games for the Premier League and also to play in the Champions League at his age, that could easily happen. They're going to be. It's going to be a very attractive club, Leicester, to join. That's my basis for the Wilfred Zaha signing, which I just think it would be an immense signing for Leicester. It would fit exactly into our team. And again, another player where we can afford the transfer fee. And if he wants Champions League football, there we go. And put in the clause saying that if another Champions League side comes in, he can go to them. But someone like Ings could easily be a target for Leicester, purely on the basis of that Champions League. He's the kind of player you need as well. He knows where the back of the net is in the Premier League, in a team that are, you know, they had a very slow start, but over a mid-table Premier League side, he scores goals. And he has, I know he started a few games on the bench recently, which ballsed up my fantasy team at the weekend, although I did okay in the end. Um, so I don't know whether there are question marks over his fitness to play to play every single game but if you've almost got three quarters of a striker in Jamie Vardy three quarters of a striker in Danny Ings and Kalecci Inacho who is uh, you know on course to be bagging double figures then 
wouldn't be a bad trio to to choose from, would it? You know, people are talking about Danny Ings uh, possibly being in the in the England squad in the summer with the, the, the difficulties uh, with injury that Kane and Rashford have got. So he is the kind of calibre of player that you would want to, to to bring in in the sense that he can score goals in the Premier League if you put him in the right areas. I think so. And many people might question, might just turn around and look, he scored 15 goals in the Premier League. He's had a really good year. It's an easy person to pick out of a bunch to sign. But as you said, he has been on the bench a few times because of his injury record. He wouldn't be a player who would play every single game of a Premier League season because of his injury career, basically injured career. So he would work in a in a rotation system with players. It's just an option, you know, you're thinking out loud, but that's just the sort of level of player and the sort of player we could bring in if we get Champions League. It's all about getting Champions League and we can get back on that train with a win at home on Monday night. Fingers crossed that happens. Hopefully we can chat Rob after the game on the Tuesday, I'd imagine, uh, depending on what happens. I can do the Tuesday right now, I don't know about you, but uh, hopefully that's the case and we'll be talking about a big Leicester win.